Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to do a slightly different sort of show. I have always been anxious to talk to my critics, to expand my point of view. It's, I, I've always told you I want to hear all sides. And so if somebody takes issue with something I'm saying, I'm interested in getting into it with them. I have asked for referrals from my critics. They consistently either do not provide me with referrals for people whom they'd like to see me interview on this stream, or they themselves will not come on. But Dr. Dan Wilson from Debunk the Funk agreed to do so, so we'll get right to it after this. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Hey, I'm Dr. Wilson. I'm a PhD molecular biologist. Welcome to another COVID debunking video. And boy, do I have a stinker for you this week. I'm going to be covering an episode of The Dr. Drew Show. His guest is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Oh my God. We developed all these things as we pushed it back over a couple of years and other antivirals came in. Oh, Dr. Drew is actually challenging RFK Jr. here. This makes my soul happy. He's absolutely right here. AZT was a game changer in the treatment of HIV. But Robert is unfazed by this challenge. We absolutely do have randomized controlled trials of COVID vaccines in children under the age of five. We absolutely do have randomized controlled trials of mask wearing in communities. We absolutely do have evidence that Paxlovid is a highly effective antiviral drug against SARS-CoV-2. Of course, I've been very critical of Dr. Drew here, but I'm always open to talking to whoever I make a video about, and that remains true to this day. And that is why we bring Dr. Wilson in, and we appreciate that very, very much. Here's my, I gotta tell you where I start from. Where I start from is, can we all please restore collegiality? We, we can, can we not disagree collegially? And if we have disagreements, let's get together and talk about them. And that's what I uh, am appreciating with your point of view. So do you agree with me on that? Sure. I think that we can all be collegiate and cordial. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We have to, you don't have to be cordial to me, but I just think of the collegiality of exchange. And, and sure. I was saying something yeah. yesterday. I said, I said the other day, I think it was yesterday. I said, you know, I, I've been used to outlying opinions and, and talking to and interviewing outlying opinions my entire career, both clinically and yeah. scientifically and publicly. And I always considered those outlying point of views just interesting. I didn't consider those bad people. I didn't consider them, you know, quacks or any of the things that people are these kind of ad hominem uh, sort of uh, attacks that people make on each other these days. It was just I didn't agree. And I hear and I had my reasons for not agreeing. But it was always interesting to hear other people's point of view, which is really what started me down this path of talking to all these people with alternative points of view with whom I disagree. Um, I appreciate that you pointed that out with uh, uh, Robert Kennedy. That, that particular point, I'm so glad you brought that particular point in the interview out because 
I was actually upset about that because I I was there when the AZT boxes were open. I was I was the one, you know, one of the hundreds or maybe thousands of physicians on the front line who now had something to do for these patients and it was it's it was such a dark period, such a horrible situation and to sort of demean what we were doing is is really kind of offensive, frankly. So I I appreciated you pointing that out. Right, right. And I think that's uh one of the one more the thing that motivated me emotionally to want to make that video because I read Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci, and I did a review of it uh, on my YouTube channel. I went chapter by chapter till I got to about the middle of the book, and then I kind of just summarized the rest of it because it was honestly just really, really bad. And I expected him to you know, say a lot of the normal anti-vaccine things that he says, a lot of the normal anti-COVID, well, COVID denial talking points that he says, he and others say, but I really didn't expect him to dive as deep as he did into HIV AIDS denial. And yeah, that was so me too. When, he, when he brought that up on your show, I was hoping you would challenge him more um, because he has a huge audience. He is, as I say in my video, one of the most prolific anti-vaxxers to this day. And so for him to come onto your show and talk all that nonsense about how AZT is poison, that doesn't, that, that's awful, but it doesn't even scratch the surface of how bad his book gets when it comes to this HIV AIDS topic. And so mm. I guess I was just hoping that you would challenge him more than you did on that mm. because well, I have I, some examples. I have a policy. On, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I'll let you give, give me those examples in a second. But my, my policy though is, look, when somebody, when I, somebody comes in here and I interview them, my, uh, my policies, I'm going to treat you like a guest. And by treating people like a guest, I, I'm not here to have a argument. I'm not here to, you know, I may push back a little bit, but I, I, I'll i hear you out. I, I got to tell you, the only thing I took away from, well, I took away two things from him, and only two things that were I thought were relevant. One was he, he shined a little bit of a light uh, for me on some of the coziness of the relationships. I knew this, but I really hadn't thought about it very much between regulators and pharmaceutical industry, I, I didn't didn't really think about the implications of that that much. I always just assumed that's how things worked and it worked efficiently that way. But he's kind of got a point. The, the other thing that I took away from, he just reminded me of any attorney I've ever met who had a particular case to build and they just build their damn case and they don't consider anything else and they just, they're like pit bulls. They just don't, they don't think about anything else. They won't consider anything else. They won't move off their dime. They're just attorneys. That's what attorneys do. And that's what he is. He's, he's a, he reads a lot of science and he develops his attorney. He uses his attorney head to, to build his arguments and they are not you, you're not allowed to assail them on any way on any level and that's where he's at and that's where that, i know i think about it, it's where he's always been that's why his thing goes so far back with vaccines because he believes he's building this case that it's all about these regulators and pharmaceutical companies colluding in such a way that people get hurt that i think is his fundamental argument would you agree i agree that that's his part of his argument but i will also say that I think that 
you know, it's great that you want to have people on the show to talk with them and gain a broader point of view. I, I dive into conspiracy theories and that stuff all the time because I'm interested in it. Um, I torture myself by watching terrible documentaries on YouTube and then I have to <laughs> read, read the science to actually explain why they're wrong. Um, yeah. but I think having him, having someone like him on this kind of platform, it might've worked to legitimize him a little bit more than you might've intended. And, you know, you, it, you promoted his book on, on the show. And I think that you would, <clears throat> I don't think that you support the things that he says about HIV AIDS in his, in his, book. I don't, I, I don't support almost anything he says. I, I, there's not <laughs> as though I was uh, right down the line agreeing with what he had to say. My, my intent in, I had two, two issues in terms of having him on. One was people have been beating me up forever that I could not possibly know what I was talking about unless I'd first spoken to Robert Kennedy and blah, blah, blah. And how could I possibly know what I was talking about? So I finally went, okay, if I'm going to, you know, invite all points of view in, I'll have to talk to Robert Kennedy finally. I, I didn't see how I could, and I watched his documentary and I didn't, didn't agree with most of them, not nearly all of it, but I didn't see anything that I didn't see where I was going to change anybody's opinion by talking to him. The other thing is there's a there's a problem that I don't know if you're aware of psychiatric psychologically, which is if you if you do anything to people that have conspiratorial thinking, if you do anything to sort of um, obscure the messaging of people that they're sort of clinging to or or the, want to hear from. It increases their conspiratorial thinking. And so to sort of push things into the sunlight a bit, much like you and I are trying to do here right now, that 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 tends to improve things. If you if you uh, if you have a sort of a policy of silence or I won't talk to him or that's a bad person, it only adds to these people going into the fringes and circulating there and forming their own opinions. I really believe strongly in bringing things out into the open, whatever the opinions are. I can see that line of thinking for sure. I just, you know, when I do that thing of talking about these ideas that are kind of out on the fringes, I do it because yeah. I'm also going to explain why they're, why they're incorrect. And you challenged him initially on his claims about, you know, AZT basically being this poison that killed every, um, every per everybody who took it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have liked to see that go further. And uh, so, you know, I just think that if we actually can do that well, now. Well, uh, let's do it right now. Because if, if you noticed, if you noticed with him. I kind of agree with him, Drew. With 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 uh, Dan? Well, well with well, you if, pushing back a little well, bit on you, stuff that you, if you, like you. Well, if you noticed what Kennedy did at the time, he it was like I didn't speak. He went right past what I said and went on. It was not going to go anywhere. I guarantee you, but but we can we can let let's let's bring it even a deeper focus today, which is that not only did AZT finally give us something, so every person that I sat down with with their first episode of pneumocystis wasn't going to die in six months, which they always did. Mm -hmm. 
suddenly they could go nine months or maybe they go 12 months. And we had, and we, in the, in that intervening six months that we added to their life, we started thinking about adding a second antiviral. We developed the idea right. of sulfa as a, as a preventative agent for the pneumocystis. And we had all kinds of, this thing was moving fast. It was a, it was a train and that AZT made a huge difference. You know where we had the biggest problem from Dan, Do you know what the biggest issue was? Was two, there were two big sources of trouble, and it wasn't Robert Kennedy. Do you know what it was? Uh, go ahead. Dallas Buyers Clubs. They were consistently promoting the notion that we, doctors were killing patients, that HIV was a product of the Gallo organization, that AZT was a, a poison that actually caused AIDS. Now, if you look at the movie about the Dallas Buyers Club, look, early on when we had nothing, people wanted to go to the Dallas, Buyer, Dallas Buyers Club and that, those kinds of organizations that had helped them feel better. By all means, please go because we had nothing to offer. But and, and by the way, once we had AZT, even in the movie, what you saw was the the uh, was it McConaughey? Who was the the uh, not McConaughey? Was it McConaughey playing the patient? It was so. anyway. The actor took a a massive overdose of AZT and had a toxic reaction because he took a massive overdose of AZT. But in in normal dosing. It was quite well tolerated. Yeah, we had to watch their blood counts and things. We had to, like any medication, but it was a well tolerated medication by comparison to how it was portrayed. So, a Dallas Buyers Club that was our number one problem. Number two, Spin Magazine. Do you remember Bob Guccione Jr.? He was pushing out so much propaganda. Not not giving people like Robert Kennedy a place to express themselves. This was. People saying this is a horrible product of the it was some the gallows the gallows laboratories or something, and they had a whole story that they were and they were pushing it as fact, not hey here are some outlying opinions here are some interesting ideas. This was and it was mainstream, and it killed thousands of people. Thousands of people became fearful of getting their AZT or the other the, the subsequent antivirals. I mean, I was right there when it happened. I watched it. That, again, not avoiding a vaccine for an illness with a 0.09% fatality rate, avoiding a treatment for a medication for an illness with a 100% fatality rate. Totally different situation in terms of the impact on the patients. And it was impossible to get them back once they got paranoid. They, there was no, we had no means like this to have public discussions. There was just the mainstream media and the main uh, print outlets. And Spin Magazine at the time had this huge following, uh, and it was devastatingly destructive, as were the Bios Dallas Buyers Club. And, you know, that's what happened. <laughs> that was the that was the, of the time. Yeah, so there, there was a lot of um, misinformation going around back back then, too. And one of the big proponents of that misinformation is talked about extensively in Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book and talked about very favorably. Uh, and that's Peter Dewsberg. Who was that? Uh, Peter Dewsberg. I don't, didn't hear his name. Didn't hear his name anywhere. Did he invent one of these stories or something? No. So he uh, was a virologist at uh, the time. And so if uh, I, I have an electronic copy of uh, Robert's book, but Oh, there it is. If you go to page okay. uh, 
327. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, this is page, yeah. this is page 270. Um, yeah, Peter, Peter Duesberg was, uh, a big proponent of the idea that HIV does not cause AIDS and that oh, yeah. AZT is poison. Um, so right. so that, you, that was, that was a whole, he, his name never, I never heard his name again. I was really in the middle of all this and his name never came up. However, that there was a big group again of people like him that were getting um, play in in public in mainstream publications like really just as as but they were presented as not hey here's an outlying opinion it was presented as this is what's going on watch out everybody which is a very different way of, of a of a media outlet to approach things sure yeah uh, but i, I just want to add that um Duesberg was actually really important um or detrimental rather to the effort to fight HIV AIDS in Southern Africa. He actually uh, play, pay, played a big role in convincing the president at the time, uh, Mbeki, uh, that AZT was poison. And because of that, hey a lot of people Terrible. in Southern Africa um, did not get AZT for their treatment. They died yep. essentially yep. needlessly. And my, I have family from Eswatini. My dad grew up there which is a tiny country in Southern Africa. And, you know, my granny, when she was alive, she owned a, she owned a farm. She housed dozens, if not hundreds of AIDS orphans over the years, fed them, mm -hmm. sent them to school. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so she, she carried the suffering that misinformation in the U S caused uh, in South Africa around HIV AIDS. And I think it's absolutely egregious that, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. spends actually several chapters portraying someone like Duesberg as a hero. And I think something like that speaks to just how ill-informed the book is. And I think that's important to again. highlight here. Yeah, that's Peter Duesberg. Let, let me just that, let me just say though, I yeah. yeah, there it is. Go ahead, say it. I was just gonna say that, yeah, this quote is Duesberg saying that. AZT is, um, well, he's, he's explaining that essentially AZT is incompatible with life, uh, which is false. Um, AZT, its uh, mechanism of action is that it targets the H NH HIV um, reverse transcriptase. It does right. not target human DNA polymerase, not nearly as well as it of course. targets that enzyme. Of course. So... However, of, however, that kind of, like that. yeah, I know, but, but the reality is for the first, let me try to remember what this was like for the first 18 months we used it. Um, the patients all died. They didn't live. Okay. They, they may have lived a yeah. few months longer and we got to try new things, but you know, it would not have prevented the AIDS orphans that, that your grandmother ended up with. I mean, the fact is this, so this eight, illness was so not yet nearly what it what it they all died they died a little bit longer a little bit later so so when i say the mm, failure to have adequate access to azt what i really meant is antiretroviral therapy in general because this from then on by the south african president at the time becky uh was a little bit later uh than the initial mm. outbreak in uh the u.s mm. um so Crazy. You can see on the screen there just that is how craziness. 
effective antiretroviral therapy has been in preventing oh. HIV AIDS deaths. Oh, and, oh it's, yeah, the it's, reason it's, it's, look, it's one of the great, great uh, triumphs of medical science. My God, I mean, and yeah. the people, you know, it's funny at the time people were going, "Why does it take so long to figure this?" I, I was like, "God, in a, in the course of ten years." We'd identified a new agent, worked out its epidemiology, figured out the causative agents, come out with therapeutic agents, treatments for the, the secondary infections and tumors and things. I mean, it was unprecedented and then turned it into a chronic illness, which was just, oh my God, a, bre a breathtaking thing to be a part of. Really a great triumph. Yeah, it was a huge triumph. And uh, just to be clear, I, um, one of the main reasons patients on AZT alone would die was because AZT is just one antiretroviral, just clearing this up for the audience. Um, and viruses are pretty good at, um, especially a chronic infection like HIV is really good at generating mutations to uh, overcome a single target drug like that. But two or more targets really raises that energy barrier for the virus to be able to adapt in time before the uh, before the medication actually kills the virus. So right. AZT was, you know, it, it gave people a lot of hope and then opened the doors for future antiretrovirals that could let people live normal lives. Hey, oh my God, it's just phenomenal. It's a, but but, you're, but the, the point is well taken. All our retroviral or combination retrovirals now. So, so um, question you can help me with. Uh, I use a fair bit of mm -hmm. Paxlovid. And I've seen uh, an, a lot of recurrence, which I think is well documented in the use of Paxlovid. But I've seen something I think it's a it's a little bit has not been reported, and I'm wondering if you can make sense of it given your reading of the literature, which is that uh, I've seen young people take Paxlovid, not get a recurrence, not get a rebound, but get a reinfection within three months which from Omicron is very unusual. Most people get at least six months of really solid natural immunity. Is there something about Paxlovid that is uh, impeding our ability to, to produce a full immune response to the infecting agent, do you think? Uh, it shouldn't, no. Um, this, these kinds of experiments have been done with monoclonal antibodies. The question um, essentially being asked is, um, do monoclonal antibodies inhibit the body's own primary immune response? This, there was speculation early on that maybe it does, but it turns out no. Uh, people who get their first infection of SARS-CoV-2 and get early monoclonal antibody treatment end up with just as good of a memory response as someone who did not get monoclonal antibodies. So it should be similar to Paxlovid, which is another drug that works early in the viral infection stage. Um, and just to point out the so-called rebound, the Paxlovid rebound that people sometimes talk about, mm -hmm. um, that's mm -hmm. that's really just the normal course of COVID. Uh, there's always been no, kind of two no, phases. No, 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 sorry, sorry. I have people well, heading towards the hospital getting severely ill. Stop it. It stops. They are like well for about three to five days and then vavoom. It all comes back, and it tends to, and it tends to be more protracted when it comes back too. I've never seen anything like that in the routine course of COVID. Nothing like that. Mm -mm. I, well, I guarantee been, it's you, it's been documented. I, I, uh, it's been documented a lot. Maybe I'm early, telling you, even that, in the early stages of the pandemic, 
we've seen I, I, there were recurrences a, i understand there were recurrences i i understand there well, were recurrences it's, 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 and there it's were not really a recurrence things. it's it what it is is it's just uh your body first encounters the virus and you feel sick that's the virus making mm-hmm. you sick and then you get better yeah. again you start to feel better but then you get a second big wave of feeling crummy again and that's yes. your immune yes. response really making you feel no i understand worse. what you're talking about yep I, I get so, it. And that's the cytokine storm, so to speak, and the cytokine yeah. activation, all this stuff. It, that looks totally different. I'm telling you, that looks completely different than this. It just is clinically a very, very different syndrome. This, that is, that is, it just looks different. And by the way, have not really seen much of that, you know, that kind of biphasic thing in the mo- in the elderly. Uh, you see more of that, I've seen more of that in younger populations in my experience, maybe just my experience may not be accurate. Um, but the, the rebound thing, it's, it just has a totally different feel to it. Just a completely different feel. Uh, it's just, it is somebody who's really getting sick. Let's put it this way. You're really getting sick. I mean, you're getting sick. You're heading towards the hospital and 12 hours after you start Paxlovid, you're a lot better. I mean, it's dramatic Uh, with the usual course of these biphasic COVID it's, you get up and you kind of, you know, you get sick again. You're not doing, you know, you're sick for three or five days. You're not better the next morning. And with Paxlovid, you are oftentimes, you are better the next morning, like no dramatically better. And then out of nowhere at the completion of the course of Paxlovid, suddenly you're starting to have the same symptoms again. And the symptoms are very different. They're, they're usually, um, they're not inflammatory. They're not, they're not the things we would see with the cytokine activation. They're very different. So I don't know. That's been my clinical experience. I, the literature will bear that out one day, one way or the other. Uh, well, there, there have the been three studies months? in the literature. Um, oh, sorry. There, she, he's saying no to that. He's saying that should not happen. So that oh, may be, Like that for be, in t- instance, our daughter got sick three months after she had COVID. That seems to be serendipity. Maybe it was a different strand. Maybe that, or serendipity. Maybe one of those I things. mean, I've heard... I don't, I'm not quite sure what all the data say on that, but um, I've heard other stories that reinfection with Omicron can happen pretty quickly um, in some cases. Yeah, it's, but, I, um, yeah I'm sure there, it can. There, there I've is, never rarely seen it. There but. is literature, there is literature uh, where people compared uh, you know, that, that rebound effect between patients who yeah. received Paxlovid and did not receive Paxlovid, and the rates of rebound were mm-hmm. similar between the two groups. So Interesting. I, I don't really I, I, think well, I don't I, really think there's much to the Paxlovid rebound idea. All right. Uh, it, literature will continue to will continue. So you, usually in my experience, I humbly in my experience, when literature doesn't match my clinical experience, usually the literature catches up eventually with the clinical. Yeah, in a year that or has so. Been, that has been my experience, generally. Look no further than the uh, the uh, Women's Health Initiative, which we absolutely categorically flew in the face of all of our... We all went, what is... This doesn't fit at all. We were all told we were witch doctors if we didn't uh, comply with the thus saith the Lord finding of the Women's Health Initiative that turned out to be completely flawed. Uh, so that, that was one of my, my sentinel experiences as a clinician where I thought I, I'm, I'm going to listen to my clinical experience and see, give the literature some time to catch up, see if it make, and that, that's now happened to be 10, at least 10 times since where things look a certain way, literature doesn't bear it out. 
until it does. <laughs> so I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess in this case though, it's obviously both, right? We both know that what does happen is you can get the cytokine immune activation after the initial infection. There's no doubt about that. Um, there's no doubt about. It. I've seen that too. I, I but that was in my again my experience mostly in younger people, not in the old so much. Though it certainly can happen there. And that and that and I will just point out once again that that sudden improvement to you know dramatic improvement over 12 24 hours is just that's not typical of covid in any fashion now, you know you don't you know particularly the particularly when people are getting sick when they're getting really sick they continue to get sick or they certainly stay sick for a week they aren't better the next morning all of a sudden okay oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm um, the dramatic improvement with paxlovid oh. yeah yeah let let's um uh Though, though, you know what's interesting in what you're saying, you know it, what what would make perfect sense to me is that maybe the mechanism is the same mechanism, and, and maybe you're even saying this, and maybe I didn't hear you, which is that the mechanism of rebound is not actually rebound; it is just the old immune activation syndrome in the setting of somebody yeah. who's, as you said, viral thing has been. So it's really the same phenomenon; it's just sort of in a different clinical. Yeah, that makes sense to me. That could be. Is that, is that what your case you're making? Yeah, it's that it's a uh, much the same different, phenomenon. It felt, it felt different though. Yeah, it feels different. It just it's different. But again, of course, you know. Uh, by the other thing, by the way, Dan, is that most of that biphasic stuff was in alpha and delta. Not, I don't see that so much anymore oh, yeah. in Omicron, which is interesting. Um, anyway, that's all. This is all the weeds. Go ahead. Okay, I, I was going to say well. Uh, you might not see it as much with Omicron anymore because of uh, vaccination and high level, high levels of population immunity, um, which true would would dampen 100%. that initial viral phase and thus dampen the uh, subsequent cytokine storm phase. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to take a little break, and when we get back, I want you to help me understand some of the vaccine policies. I've I've really been looking for somebody to help me understand what, wh why we're doing some of the things we're doing I, it seems i don't quite get some of the stuff um okay I, I certainly understand i know exactly what i'm doing after the age of 65 i definitely know what i'm doing after the age of 70 both with vaccines and with paxlovid as you get into younger populations i get confused and maybe you can help me out with that okay okay sure sounds good all right let's take a little break uh dan, dr dan wilson is there a website you want to refer people to by the way um my YouTube channel is uh, Debunk the Funk with Dr. Wilson. Um, okay. That's all, that's all I really had to plug. <laughs> um, all right. But, we'll send people there. Yeah. Great. And uh, those of you listening on the Twitter spaces, I will be taking calls in a few minutes too. So hang in there. We're going to finish our conversation. I know uh, Dr. Dan's family is coming home soon, and he's got to get out of here after, after that point. So let's take a little break. We'll be right back. Want to give the gift that keeps on giving? Genucel Skincare keeps everyone on your holiday list looking young and refreshed. And who doesn't need that type of luxury, especially over the holiday season? Genucel has so many products that Susan and I love. Genucel's XV Moisturizer locks in moisturizer on top of the serums, making dry spots a thing of the past, especially great with the colder climate and all the dryness of our skin, right? And with Genucel's Immediate Effect 2 eye cream, you can see the results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed or your money back. Susan loves Genucel's DFS Vitamin C Serum, the new deep firming serum, as well as the Hyaluronic with C and Lactic Acid, 
which hydrates your skin and makes fine lines a thing of the past while hopefully preventing future wrinkles from forming. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Take advantage of amazing holiday savings by going to genucel.com, and you will get 60% off with a special holiday stocking stuffer when you subscribe to my favorites package at genucel.com slash drew and all orders are upgraded to free shipping for the rest of the holiday season we will get it there quickly use code drew at checkout for an extra 10 percent off your entire order that is genucel.com slash drew g-e-n-u-c-e-l.com slash drew economic turmoil has a lot of people wondering what our government will do next will it be more wasteful spending higher taxes how do you protect your hard-earned savings? The answer could be gold. Gold is the world's oldest, most proven form of currency. It's there when inflation soars and when other assets go sideways. And that's why Birch Gold is thrilled to introduce a new product that reimagines gold as currency, the gold back. This month, you'll get a free gold back for every $5,000 purchased when you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA with Birch Gold by December 22nd. Susan's birthday, incidentally. Birch Gold will help you own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. Visit birchgold.com drew to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Reminder, I do not give financial advice. This is not financial advice, but you can go to Birch Gold and with every purchase you make before December 22nd, you'll get a free gold pack. This is a stocking stuffer just in time for Christmas. Once again, visit birchgold.com slash Drew. Protect your savings with gold today. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, oh boy. Oh, he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's not addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Get All some right. gold for we... my birthday, everybody. 
Oh my gosh, I'm going to surprise you. Uh, now <laughs> she's, got a gold she's, back. Let, she's let it be know what she wants. So we're back with Dan Wilson. Thank you so much, bio, uh, molecular biologist, biochemist, or molecular biologist, PhD, correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure you had your share of biochemistry. Uh, so, um, so here's my here's what I'm confused about, um, and and I really have been trying to understand what I'm getting wrong. Is um, I think we're all aware of this sort of weird controversy in the sort of, let's say, 17 to 35-year-old males in terms of whether we should be spacing out the Moderna vaccine a little bit further to try to reduce some of these uh, side effects we're seeing. Um, is it is it worth the risk-benefit analysis, given that, that that population is so rarely hurt by COVID? Um, why, I guess... I guess my first question would be, why is it anti-vax to just bring up that question and try to try to struggle with it to get it right? Well, I think that it's not anti-vaccine to ask the question of why are we doing this? But, you know, science has, plenty of researchers have been able to provide us uh, good answers to that. You know, uh, we do see that, yes, that age group is at reduced risk of COVID relative especially to older populations, but they're not at no risk. And so when we look at what's actually happened, you know, COVID has killed a lot of people in that age group. It has been one of the top five leading causes of uh, natural deaths in the U.S. Um, over the past two years for all age groups. Um, and so the vaccine is really a way to not only prevent those deaths, but also prevent the hospitalizations. Because as we know, the, the outcome isn't only death from COVID. You can still be hospitalized. You can still suffer from it and you can still get long COVID. And vaccines are shown to pre, uh, reduce all of those outcomes, reduce the likelihood of all of those outcomes. So it's just, it's the less, it's the road of less risk. And so it just makes sense to do that because even in those younger now, age groups, if COVID I, drifts through the population, sorry, go ahead. So help me understand that the number that that's really the question is what it, the numbers. So because I've seen I've seen zero in my clinical world, and mm -hmm. I mostly treat geriatrics. I'm not dealing with a lot of young people, so so to be fair, it's it's a relatively relatively small. Um, but I have seen mm, one hospitalization zero deaths and lots of myocarditis and serious arrhythmias where people are having major major ablative therapies and anticoagulations and really serious cardiac interventions necessary as well as unknown long-term consequences on the heart that's why it's an area of concern to me again it's my clinical experience that that colors this I, why is on one hand i'm seeing nothing and on the other i'm seeing you know not a lot but enough to make me worried uh, as compared to hospitalization and and death from COVID, it's it's been way worse uh, on these cardiac manifestations. Cardiac manifestations? Are you saying from the vaccine? Uh, from from the either either hype either hypothetically from the vaccine or clearly from the vaccine. Things things I'd never okay. seen before. All of a sudden, we're seeing a lot of, and it's always not always typically in proximity with vaccine therapy a couple of weeks four weeks it's it's within range 
um, and then documented myocardial inflammation and whatnot, and other things. Um, and this a lot. So, I mean, in my own in my own peer, in my own friend group, my own patient group has been rather extraordinary um, and okay. concerning. Now, I'm hoping it's all going to resolve without any consequence, whatever. I mean, it, it hopefully will. Though some people are going to have to have ablations and be on anticoagulation for long periods of time and. I wouldn't want to have to do that and take uh, amiodarone for long periods of time. Not something I would look forward to at the age of 40, you know? Um, right. But so, there it is. I mean, that's been the experience. And no and no deaths, no one hospitalization for COVID and no deaths. Same age group. Okay. So, you know, we can look at the literature for these kinds of answers. Again, it's okay to ask those questions, but we have to yeah. be willing to look at the answers. And you're not alone in asking the question. Yeah. Scientists ask the yeah. question all the time and they look at the data in order to try and figure out what the answer and, is and, and by the way and i don't i and none of these you know are the and and this is the but there's a craziness in the middle of this the cardiologists are not reporting this as adverse vaccine reactions they are literally afraid to and they have told me that in no uncertain terms so we have that we have this weird kind of silence going on now hopefully the met the literature the research is not hopefully finding a way to brush that all aside. How, the, the studies you're looking at, how are they being done? So it's broad. You look at a population and you mm -hmm. have a baseline of how often these adverse events happen, say pre-vaccine. And then once the vaccine is introduced, you watch those adverse events in order to see if they increase, not necessarily in mm -hmm. relation to the vaccine, although several studies do do that. Uh, but just to see, do they increase? And mm -hmm. across the board, really, no matter what country you look at, no matter what university you're looking at or research group, they're all finding pretty much the same thing. And it's that COVID vaccines are very, very safe. And that if they do cause myocarditis, which can happen in rare cases, that most often, uh, especially in young people, they recover uh, without incident. So that's what the data I understand has shown. That. I understand that's the, I, this, but these are, look, this recover without incidents is what I worry about, right? Because look, before all this myocarditis started coming down, myocarditis was an exceedingly rare event and was a, it was a dire medical emergency. I mean, I, I, the, when, whenever my kids, when, when, when my kids were growing up and they would get bad viral illnesses, the one thing I would worry about is that they would get some sort of myocarditis as a complication right. because it's so dreaded, it's so dangerous, it's so awful. And the vaccine myocarditis is no no exception. Now, what the one thing we don't seem to be seeing is cardiomyopathy on the heels of it. We don't seem to be seeing that. But as I said, okay. I'm still seeing plenty of people stuck on amiodarone and, and uh, Eliquis because of arrhythmia concerns and some people not recovering their functional abilities. It's not all that uncommon. And again, this is, I, I worry the literature needs to get caught up better with this. We, we need better literature on this, better reporting on this, because it just doesn't fit what I'm seeing clinically. And whenever people take an illness like myocarditis and go, well, it looks like everybody's fine, that, that, that is a very irresponsible statement. That's like saying, well, we had lymphoma, we gave him chemo, it's cleared, he's done, it's over. Or, or what surgeons always say, we, we got it all, it's all done. No, that's not how medicine works. You, you have to really follow for years before you know what you're dealing with here.
So the, right, the so it gets better, everybody's fine. That I really, I really take issue with that particular sort of. The, a lot of the literature has that kind of language in it, and it, and it immediately bothers me when I see that kind of thing. Now it may be true; it may actually be true, which is great. I love that. If it is true, I hope it's true. It's just very concerning that people. It just seems irresponsible and weird. I'm when it, when in medical literature, I've, I've never seen. The, those sorts of opinions issued about something with long-term horizons like myocarditis, like, well, it's just mild and it's over and that's it. When we know for sure that's not how myocarditis works. That's not how it works. It's just we would at least hedge it and go, they seem they seem improved. You know, we'll hope best for the future and hopefully it will continue this way as opposed to, hey, it was mild, it's over, it's done. My goodness. Wow. that That's weird. Right, so so to, two things I'd say to that. Um, one is that not every myocarditis is equal. Um I would also be really worried if my kid got viral myocarditis because we know that yes. myocarditis caused by pathogens, infectious disease is often yes. really serious and can yes. often reach that fulminant stage where there are long-term consequences. But we, yep. we've seen vaccine-induced myocarditis before. It happens with flu vaccines. It happened with smallpox vaccines. It happens with lots of different vaccines. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the literature is kind of pulling this knowledge from where we see we've seen these kinds of cases before where we have a vaccine induced mild myocarditis that kind of resolves on its own or with uh, some medication. And then these patients seem to be fine. Now, it's perfectly possible that maybe we're missing something. But right now, I don't think that the evidence is leaning that way. So I think that even in young age groups, I mean, my kid is uh, 19 months old now. Wow. Um, and we have both, uh, we have two COVID vaccine doses um, because I want to make sure that my kid uh, gets that robust immune memory as early as possible so that when in her down the road, she encounters SARS-CoV-2, she will have that protection. Uh, have that broad immunity that will be further expanded by a natural infection with reduced risk. Um, so that's that's what I think we should be doing for our children too: is giving them the path of least risk. All right, I, I want I want to get into that in a second, but you you helped me a lot with that observation about previous vaccine myocarditis. I like that, I, and I, I've not seen that. I've not seen those horizons of where those end up. So to, if, if that is out there, that is a, a very valid observation, which is that if vaccine-induced myocarditis typically, historically, doesn't go anywhere, that's I think that's valid. Uh, that That's very helpful to me, actually. Uh, in terms of kids, uh, so 85% of kids have been exposed, right? Uh, let's not go all the way down to right. young infants yes, yet yeah. when they haven't been exposed. In all of our data on children is on pre-exposed kids getting the vaccine, right? So how do we know what we're doing with kids that already have natural immunity and then we give them a vaccine? How, how can we be so sure of what that is? Especially so, since the, 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 the boost may only last six months or who knows, or we don't know. Oh, well, so when it comes to the clinical trials that were done for children aged, um, four months through five years, or sorry, six months through five yeah. years. Um, 
Uh, I'm going up. No, no. I'm, to get me older. If you're like, can you go down? Not down. Go down quite that far. If you don't mind yet, I'm going to go there next. Okay. Give me the five to okay. you know fifteen or whatever. Oh, okay. The yeah, five to like seventeen or twelve or whatever the group. Yeah, I think it was yeah, five to yeah. twelve. Um, yeah, was one yeah. group. But um, I'm going off memory now. Uh, but I believe the protocols for recruitment did include screening for pre previous COVID infection. And if they couldn't find yes. evidence of previous COVID infection, then they were um, included in the group. And yes. that was done with uh, N, N antibodies. Um, to the That's N my understanding. Yeah. yeah. So that's my understanding. And, but so but my those, point is that now that studies, that's yeah. no longer the population that's getting vaccinated. Now we're vaccinating people that definitely have been exposed. And how do we know what oh, we're right. doing since yeah. the studies were done on, you know, virgin cases? I see. Okay. So yeah, I think even then, even now we're continuing to see kind of a gap between, um, uh, people who got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated, a, a gap of risk where, uh, Sorry, my dog is rubbing himself all over the bed. Um, <laughs> it happens on this show all the time. <laughs> in my guest bedroom slash. Our show, our dog norm. just, Normally it's my dog. He's just rolling around. Um, <clears throat> sorry. So there, there seems to be a, a gap still between those who got vaccinated and those who didn't, regardless of infection history. So those who got vaccinated have a reduced risk of progression to severe illness, and those who uh, didn't get vaccinated have a relatively greater risk of progression. Um, and <clears throat> the protection that we want from the vaccines, they, that doesn't go away within six months. Uh, these vaccines are really meant to prevent uh, severe illness, that progression to the hospital, that uh, progression to the morgue. Uh, that's, that's the kind of protection we really want. We're not looking to constantly um, stop infection. And that's, uh, that's a point that... Um, scientists over at This Week in Virology, uh, as well as uh, Paul Offit, whenever he goes on their show, talk about constantly where the goal is not to prevent infections forever. SARS-CoV-2 is with us. We're going to get infected. The goal is to reduce the risk of severe outcomes so that people aren't suffering. They're not going to the hospital. We're not getting flu on top of SARS-CoV-2 every single year flooding the hospital well, i think unfortunately because of uh rhetorical ec rhetorical excess at the beginning where it was if you don't get vaccinated you're going to infect your grandma you you you're going to prevent the disease you're going to prevent transmission that rhetoric was pervasive uh i understand now that that is absolutely not the goal so, and there was some <clears throat> some some evidence that might we might be able to stop infection i i get that the early data looked kind of that way but i think that's why yeah, people so, are having trouble with the um the change in the rhetoric and I think that's a fair point. I think that, you know, science communicators at the beginning were um, a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them were kind of not giving the messaging correctly that these vaccines, the main goal is to prevent severe illness. Now, you know, you do see that reduction in risk of infection for a few months after that dose. And um, for an unknown amount of time after that, you do have a reduced uh, shedding period, viral shedding period, if you do get infected. So there is a reduced risk of transmission there. However, it's not a one, it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to, right. it's not the only tool we're, we should be using to prevent infections. The main purpose is to prevent that severe illness. Right. We got it. We got that. 
So so let's go to the five and under. I, the, I mean, the incidence of serious illness in five and under is remote. You had mentioned that you wanted a robust immune response that was sustained. I'm, I assume you're talking about cellular immunity. Uh, yes. Tell me more your reasoning in, in vaccinating the very young. So we know that these COVID vaccines give a very robust cellular immune memory. So we know that we induce memory B and T cells from these vaccines that um, the germinal center response is really fantastic. And that indicates that these uh, memory responses are likely to last a very long time. And we are seeing that them holding up for as long as we're looking. Um, and, you know, again, the risk of children, risk that SARS-CoV-2 poses to very young children is relatively small compared to other age groups. But again, it's not zero. Um, the deaths are it, relatively it approaches, low. It approaches uh, zero. But, it approaches zero. Well, it's Not it's zero, low, but it approaches but zero. You, but you still have a risk of uh, multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome in children. You still have that risk of hospitalization. I know, I know people who have had children who have been hospitalized who are under five years old uh, from SARS-CoV-2. Um, just normal, healthy, healthy not, kids. Yeah, yeah, the, the, they were okay. healthy for all I knew. Um, but mm. even so, uh, you know, children who have asthma might be at elevated risk and lots of children have asthma. They might even have an unknown underlying illness that you might not know about that could contribute to them having a more severe case. But no child, no child deserves to um, experience multisystem inflammatory syndrome. Uh, no child deserves to be hospitalized or die from COVID. And so far in the past Two years, you know, uh, COVID has killed more children than every other vaccine preventable disease combined in the U.S. So I think it's worth uh, protecting them from that risk. The the pediatricians I speak to, I'm trying to find the incidence of uh, multisystem inflammatory syndrome because I believe it's yeah, it's one per million. Looks it's like not, it's not common. It's not common, but it does it's extremely rare. Look, if a doctor tells you you have a 1% chance of something, if you if a doctor tells you you have a 1% chance of something, you're not going to get it. He or she is telling you, you have a, you're not, don't have to worry about it. Uh, th that was a, one of the most striking things for me about the risks of um, COVID. I had severe alpha or delta or something, and people asked me, were, were you scared? And I thought, were they scared? There's a five, not even a 5% fatality rate in my age group. That's when the doctor says ninety five percent chance of X. Just forget it. Don't don't even don't be afraid. Um, so well, so it I, worries I guess, me that we're we're taking sort of really significant medical interventions for things that are way remote, like really remote possibilities. Um, but well, I guess I guess okay. I'll put it, I'll put I mean, it this way. Um, I'm not a pediatrician. Yeah, I guess I'll put it this way. You know, I mean. You could make a similar argument for polio or, or for measles, that those diseases have a very small rate of severe outcomes, including death. You know, for, for polio, it, out of all the infections that happen, it was really rare for someone to experience a paralytic case, right? That's why, for example, with the paralytic case in an unvaccinated person in New York City recently, 
that tells us that there are lots of other cases that are not causing paralytic cases. But when you have a virus sweep through a population of millions and millions of people, you're going to get a lot of those rare outcomes. And yes, that's, true. that's why we vaccinated against polio. That's why we vaccinate against measles. Because even though the risk is relatively small compared to elderly people who elderly people right. have higher risk of most infectious diseases. So it's, so it's, it's 1% want paralytic polio. 1%. Yeah, it's very, that's it, not one in a million. That's, that's one in a hundred <laughs> and one in a hundred. I, I get so, it. I get that that people would so get 1%, upset about that. I think, 1% I think refers to the um, older age groups when it comes to young children, it's even rarer, but still it's an outcome we don't want. Right. It's an outcome we don't and, want. And I was so trying to figure that out with measles. I, I was, and, and like, like your comparison, I was trying to, I, I've been thinking lately, like, because I'm not a pediatrician, so I don't have that kind of judgment. Um, you know, how many measles deaths were there pre-vaccine versus how many COVID deaths were there be, you know, without a vaccine? And the best I could find, now this may, maybe you can help me with this too, because this is another area I was struggling with, approximately 6,000 measles deaths in the same group, approximately 500 COVID deaths. That that's about the best comparison I could come up with. Is is that about right for pediatrics? I don't. I can't confirm those numbers. I don't know yeah. the hard so, and, numbers for measles offhand. And, and, however, and, yeah, and I, I do know that. Yeah, however, for example, uh, I mean, in the past, in two years, COVID has killed at least a thousand kids. Young, younger kids yeah. in the younger age groups. Yeah, yeah it's uh, about five hundred, about five hundred a year. Yeah, about five hundred yeah. a year. That's what, that's what I got. About five hundred a year, as opposed to about six thousand a year for measles. And and I was thinking, I, I don't know the risk tolerance for pediatrics. Like if, if that were adult medicine, we would go, oh, that's more than ten, you know, a tenth the risk. I'm not sure if we want to be vaccinating or not because of what you know. Till we have more data on the vaccine you know that's this how adult medicine works but in pediatrics maybe that you know death as an outcome is obviously a much bigger deal in terms of years of life lost and so maybe there's less risk tolerance of that kind of a mortality rate than than somebody comes from adult medicine would be able to judge you, you understand what i'm saying I, I see what you're getting at yeah yeah and, I, and I, so know, I, so i that, that it starts to make sense to me because i'm a big you know i'm a big measles vaccine advocate i'm, I'm you know there i've always said there are not enough vaccines in the world for my kids i mean i was fighting for the hpv vaccine for years i i mean i was and it used to all the all the horrible attacks used to come from the right that i was you know encouraging a vaccine that encouraged people to have sex and all this weird shit. um and obviously, you know, measles and mumps rubella. We, we, my kids all. Have, I have, I had that reboosted recently myself. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I get six thousand deaths a year that are totally preventable, like completely preventable. No, I have zero. That's I, I cannot imagine anybody pushing back on that. That, that is, that's weird to me. Um, but right. for some reason, and this is me, my non-pediatric head, when I think mm, five hundred deaths and a new vaccine and people are worried about some of the side. Uh, mm, it's a harder putt. It's a harder putt and maybe needing more well, vaccines also, and going to get the illness and going to get the illness anyway. So we're going to get the risk of the illness with the risk of the vaccine. Now, uh, mm, you know, that, that's where I, my head goes. 
Well, keep in mind that uh, those numbers are uh, referring to confirmed numbers. Uh, we also, uh, the, the, the amount of children who have actually died from COVID or COVID complications is going to be uh, slightly greater than that. Um, but why is the hospitals point, are encouraged uh, to give that diagnosis? They're paid for that diagnosis. Of course, they're going to use it wherever they can. How, how is it going to be more just in terms of postmortem uh, documentation or something outside the hospital? Well, no. So, I mean, hospitals aren't encouraged to give a COVID diagnosis or a COVID death certificate. I mean, while falsifying them would be fraud, uh, doing them for money would be fraud. Um, so I doubt that mm -hmm. hospital systems all over the nation would be committing fraud like that. Um, and I don't see any evidence that they are, but we almost always undercount these things. That's why for flu, for example, every year, we have a confirmed count of deaths, and then it takes about a year to estimate the a more accurate number of, excuse me, of just how many people died from flu in that in that given year. So, not only do we have that, but we also have you know others again other severe outcomes other than death of children being hospitalized, getting Miss C, um, and there's also the long COVID aspect that we are still understanding. Uh, so there's all that to think about. And also just the fact that underprivileged children are going to be more affected by this illness than the more privileged children who might have better access to better healthcare. So the vaccine is even gonna be even more important for underprivileged uh, communities and their children. So I think that it's, again, the road of less risk I think I, well, that, that's the question if, if that, as that gets sorted out. Well, you've actually helped me quite a bit through a lot of this stuff because these are all been question marks that I, I've had trouble finding answers for. I've had to struggle with myself and I, no one has sort of come in here and, and uh, helped me help me get some some. I'm still I'm still walking around with some question marks over my head. I'm still reading the literature on certain things, try, trying to get clarity i still you know again i wouldn't worry so much about misc that's you know very rare i don't know if you've ever seen it clinically it's not that big a deal and it's young i, don't, I see it mostly in teenagers i've never seen it in really young and long COVID, i had it myself it goes away it's like any other bad viral illness it's a this is a terrible illness and you know it's it, it hits you hard and that's oh the, that's from the vaccine and i had a bad reaction to the vaccine i had developed a raccoon eye which is the presenting manifestation of transverse sinus thrombosis which is the consumptive coagulopathy of the j and j vaccine i, I was going to be the first male to report the, the report the j and j side effect but it passed without significant clinical complication the, the point is it's 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 still there's still a lot of there's still a lot of uncertainty I, I mean, i'm so the measles i'm clear that's easy um 65 year old you know a 75 year old male i'm clear that's easy still is a little hard for me uh in the particularly given some of the some of the the path specimens and things that people are starting to accumulate and we're starting to see there's still kind of question marks i, I still feel like i i don't know why i have so much so much anxiety about that that young male age group I, maybe because i've seen so much of it uh and and i feel like i said that the literature is going to bear that out more and then that and then that biases my feeling about early pediatric manifest vaccine vaccinating where my head immediately goes well if there's any risk of the vaccine to young people 
and they're going to get COVID anyway. Now we have additive risk of vaccine and the, and the COVID. And I might be totally wrong in this. And thank God I'm not a pediatrician. Uh, as I said, I don't know how to judge 6,000 deaths versus 500 deaths in a pediatric, let's say 6,000 and 1,000. I don't, I don't know how to make that judgment in the pediatric population. So go ahead, you, you fill in the blanks there. Yeah, I think what, what I'll say to that is um, something that a lot of people might not know is that when we get down to the youngest age groups, the um, six month to five year and the five to 11, the we see almost no myocarditis in those age groups. Um, That's true. In fact, the, yep. the, 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 the clinical, true. the clinical trials have reported, uh, as far as I know, zero myocarditis in those age groups. It's only yeah. when you get to the 12 yeah. to, is there anything, to, is, are there any adverse events that, that any common adverse events, anything just other than, you know, sore arm, that kind of thing. Nothing, nothing other than the regular, no. regular run of the mill side effects from a vaccine and, that and, I know of in, the, in and, that young and age the, group. And then how often are you going to vaccinate these kids? Well, I think a full course of vaccination, again, we're not looking to um, prevent infection forever because we're going to get infected, but the goal is to reduce the risk once we get infected. And so two to three doses is uh, the, so two doses is what's approved for, I think the six to six months to five year age group that could have changed. I might not, I might not be certain on that. I know that for my kid, they got Moderna, and so she can only get two doses of that. Um, but three doses is what we've seen in the, in the literature. Three doses was, is what really helps expand your immune memory to encompass Omicron. So the how long? maturation. Well, so as long as we've looked, um, it's, right. it's the immune memory that it's the immune memory that we uh, that we're looking for there. How broad are those antibodies and how broad are those uh, T cells? How much can right. they recognize? Right. We don't recognize Omicron right. with very well with two shots, but with three shots, then that maturation gets to a point where they can, where it, it can I, encompass. I, I got to tell Omicron. you, I, I hear you. And, and clinically, it's so weird making these recommendations without more understanding about how the future is going to play out it's very weird it's it, i got to tell you it's 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 very much of a uh, reaching into the dark so so now you've talked to me uh at length and you've helped me a good deal and i appreciate it very much i think you've helped the audience also um am i anti-vax i mean i wouldn't say so based on this conversation <laughs> um, am, am i anti-science well as long as you disagree with RFK Jr.'s stuff that he said on that episode, um, then no. <laughs> and, and 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 I guess there's another sort of layer in here. I'm I'm a free speech absolutist. I'm I, I guess I have to apologize for that these days, but but I I really am an advocate for for sunshine on everything. Um, and just think about it. We wouldn't be having this conversation had I not speaking, spoken to Robert and had you not spoken about Robert and now we can speak together about Robert, uh, you know, it, yeah. it's, and people, a lot of people that listen to my stuff, you know, they're, they're trying, they're also trying to get to reality. They're really trying they, they, and it, the people that are, are honkering down in conspiratorial holes will respond to some sunlight. Some of them won't for sure, but, but a lot of them will. They're like you and me, just, just what we did here today. I mean, I, I think we're modeling, 
I don't know about you, but what I've always done as a clinician to talk to my peers, hammer it out, make sure I'm trying to figure out where we agree and disagree and where I still have some questions. And and then we come back again in six months and we go, now, how's it look? Let's talk about it now. Is it different? Is it is it, you know, as opposed to uh, Dan's a bad guy because he doesn't like me. Uh, like, how crazy is that? <laughs> no, I, What's no. wrong with us? What is wrong with us? No. I, that's no, me. So. I spend a lot of my time walking around going, what is wrong with us? Every time I get attacked on Twitter, you should know I. You were the first one to agree to come on, which I just love. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll DM that. It's usually physicians that, that are after me. And I'll, I'll DM them and go, let's get on the phone. Let's, let's see what our difference Let's actually talk about it. They won't come on the phone. And all the ones that did come on the phone, <laughs> lo and behold, we didn't have very much difference. Very, lo and behold. Lo and behold, the differences are not that, that great. It's all of us are just trying to do best. Look, nobody's trying to hurt anybody. That is for sure. Everybody's trying to do best for for people and patients. I don't think I don't believe I don't. Maybe you know people that are actually you think are you know have a, a you know nasty you know intent. I, I don't know those people. Uh, that's why I keep telling people that that are worried about like so you know people that are worried about the um, connection between uh, big pharma and our regulatory organizations like the FDA. I keep telling them it's like no, there's not like some dude with a bag of cash coming in at night and twirling his mustache and dropping it off at the FDA. That's not the problem. The problem is maybe the problem I worry about mm -hmm. is that the former head of the FDA is now a big uh, uh, as, as a you know senior vice president over at Pfizer, and that's ooh, that's interesting. That's that's got to have some effect on how you think about the FDA and how how the FDA thinks about Pfizer and or whatever. I'm just using Pfizer as a as a straw dog. Um, so that's all. That's yeah. the only thing I, I worry about. Yeah. And I don't know if there's anything legitimate in that concern. Right. So, um, I'll just talk about the, the first thing you said with, um, having yeah. these conversations. Um, yeah. you know, I, I invite people who I debunk on my channel to talk to me and almost all of them never, uh, I never hear from. Um, but you know, my, my goal good. in doing that is to, um, my goal in doing that is to, like you say, bring it out into the light, have these ideas talked about, but also addressed properly. Um, and so yeah. if you get, if, if I can do nothing else here, I would just like to encourage you going forward because you have a large platform, lots of people watch it, um, to challenge guests like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. a little bit more because I'm someone who, you know, admittedly, I don't watch much, much of your show. Um, I don't catch every episode, but uh, I saw that episode with RFK Jr. I listened to the whole thing. And at the end of it, I was left wondering how much of this does Dr. Drew actually, actually agree with? Um, mm. So if you don't challenge it in the moment, I'm going to be left to wonder. And maybe somebody who knows about RFK Jr., but not you, went and watched that episode, listened through. And thought something similar as to what I did. How much does he believe? Um, they might get the impression that you agree with RFK Jr. on all those topics. So, um, yeah, that's my that's my encouraging uh, sign off statement. I guess is to just all right. I I uh, I will I accept that I accept that criticism, uh, and I'm wide open to it. And and it, and it is it is an interesting navigation having somebody come in as a guest, and I'm. You know, I what my role is exactly. I mean, that's why I do those kinds of guests with Kelly Victory because she has a different opinion than I do, and so I can I can distance myself a little bit from it. 
and and I in my recollection of that interview, I did come in a couple of times and say, I'm I worry about that. I'm not sure. I don't not sure. But I did not confront. I did not sort of challenge him, except on the AZT. And then I felt like I wasn't even speaking. He just just dismissed me like, and I thought, well, this isn't going to go very well. I'm not going to get much out of this, mm-hmm. which is why I didn't go further. I just thought, well, what's the point? Um, and and I, so you know, the thing was, it was a little emotional for me about the AZT. And when, when I get emotional, uh, when I am emotionally, like that was a profound experience taking care of all these men that died. It was just terrible. People don't understand imagine, how yeah. dark that period of history was. And, and and when I get emotional, I get shrill, and and I have to be careful. I, I get, I just, I'm not effective, and so I think I might have been thinking that too. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna start sounding wacky in a minute here because this is disturbing to me. Um, but anyway, I appreciate you coming in, and I think we ought to have another conversation in a few months down the line just to see. Well, you can give me further critiques, a which I'm wide open to, and b we can see how if some of this literature has clarified itself. Okay, I'm open to that. That'd be excellent. Ex- so, uh, Dr. Dan, Dr. Dan Wilson, I'm going to take some calls right now, but I thank you for being here. All right. Thank you. Have a great holiday. All right. You too. All right. Let me get to some of these calls here. Uh, Caleb, we still good on your end? Oh, yes. Yeah. I just have, uh, let's see. I just have a hard out in 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. Maybe we can do some of this then. I was going to blame Susan for my uh, lack of, <laughs> uh, of assertiveness because because <laughs> the producer should be telling me what to do but uh i will not, I will not throw her under the bus no, i just i just keep telling Let's, people in the uh, comments to be nice because like that this really is we, we've had so many people that have criticized you and the show and the guests and you always yep. try to get them on the show and they always say no this is the first guy that's actually said yeah. yes he would be brave enough to come on the show so yeah and, and, and as i i, props I, I knew that. I knew I would get something out of it. I, I got something out of it. I, I'm. It's. It's like th- this. You know, trying to form a medical opinion when there's a, 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 you know, a lot of clinical experience going on and a moving body of medical literature that's changing and morphing, and people with all kinds of outlying opinions. It is not easy to to figure out what's going on. Uh, you got to hear a lot of different kinds of opinions. Now, and, now know, it seems like the. Um, go ahead. Honest, uh, Diane Sawyer. She interviewed Charles Manson. That doesn't make her a serial killer. So you speaking with no, these right, people does not right. mean that you agree with them. You're, you're, right. you're interviewing and, 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 and you're I asking get, questions. I get his, you know, and I get Dan's concerns. I, I get it. I, I, those are my concerns too, right? I mean, you've heard for how long did I resist saying talking well, from about the start, time, right? from the start, from the start, like yeah. that was it was yeah. yeah it took a, those, a long time before we got there. It, but but I actually felt good that when it was done, I got something out of it that I got, oh, this guy's an attorney and he's just, you know, he's got his point of view. And, and then I thought, and I, and I am kind of more concerned now about this cozy relationship between my regulators and, and the drug companies. I, I was really not of that mindset before talking to him. I really was just sort of like, that's just how it works. It's okay. Everyone's got everyone's best interest in mind. And he convinced me that that was not the case. And that's a, that's a shit. So I learned something from talking to him. It wasn't like it was all bad. And and to be fair, you know, people. I, I just thought of another criticism people could have of me. It's like it's not my private private conversation with Robert Kennedy. Everyone's getting exposed to it. But I but I would go back to that issue of uh, sunlight, bringing things back into the sunlight, which I think is, as you know, you've said is so important too. You want to address that real quickly before I talk to Chrissy? Oh no, go ahead and, and talk to Chrissy. But I also, if if you'd like, I compiled just a few clips of you from. The beginning to like you know recent of the pandemic look just take a look at this i was just digging through some clips watch this listen okay. to the cdc right. listen to anthony fauci 
Take his direction, do what they tell you, and we're all going to be fine. Follow Dr. Fauci's advice. Follow the CDC's advice. We will be fine. Stop listening to the press. Listen to the CDC. Listen to Dr. Fauci. And although the vaccines aren't specific for Omicron, it gives us that cellular immunity that does reduce the risk of severe illness. You want my position? Pro-vaccine. Listen to the CDC. Let Dr. Fauci be your North Star. I said that a thousand times. April 21. I did say that a thousand times. You've never been anti-vaccine. I'm not so sure I can defend him now. I've never been anti-vaccine. I've never been anti-Fauci. Though re- recent time, I've been a little bit but concerned Omicron's about some of his choices. But different. It's not like the vaccine now is the booster. And, you know, then we really needed to get it's, ahead of this thing. It's complicated, guys. This is, these are, if, you, if you just think you understand it all, just I mean, think again. I don't it understand it all. I just don't like the fact that people are dropping dead and having myocarditis. Well, they need to make a better it. vaccine. I, like, let's we, get it. No, we need better data. We need better. That, 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 that Dr. Dan gave me a bunch of good data that helped me kind of calm down a little bit, but I still feel it didn't fit my clinical experience. So now I'm worried there's something about that data that's not right. And then, and my, and let me just refine. Also, I've been less enthusiastic about Dr. Fauci lately. And do you know why? Do you know why primarily? Because I discovered through talking to some of the people that Dr. Kelly has brought in here and has been now borne out in his deposition, he was using fear as government policy, and I find that to be reprehensible. That is my main issue with Dr. Fauci. He has been an extremely important uh, figurehead in my career. Back when we were giving the AZT, and the reason I got on the radio was Fauci. Back when we were giving the AZT, he was there. He was the, a, a spearhead of all of this. But I will tell you what, using fear is I don't know. God only knows how many people they hurt using fear as their primary modality. By the way, it also pushed aside all the other things they should have been doing at the time, which was educating, for instance, about what to do when you get sick. Use the monoclonal antibodies. Know what your O2 saturation is. When to go back to the hospital. Public health should have been educating about all of that. They did nothing. They scared the shit out of people. And that, I think, was a little bit reprehensible. So I, I'm not as... I, I um. I regret some of that enthusiasm, even though as it all started, I really thought that was all we needed to do. And listening to the press is maybe it, maybe he got adulterated by the press. Maybe that's they why, conveniently um, forget his, all his of. And I I found those clips all in the space of I had thirty minutes to find just any clips of you to put that together. Yeah. So I didn't even do very much digging. Yeah. So it's for them people to act like you're anti medicine, anti science, anti vaccine. That was never. Anti-CDC, anti-Fauci, all that. this. Yeah, no. I know. But but now but now that you've you, now that you've put that, now I'm going to be Fauci's lap child. Right, I'm exactly. Gonna be, I'm gonna be <laughs> Those were old clips. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be a paid shill of the pharmaceutical company. Or we were it is. we were so, wearing masks at the beginning too. So uh, yeah, I was wearing masks at the beginning and uh, cloth ones and, so, and because I, we couldn't get the paper ones. So. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, somebody's asking me if I got my second booster. I have not got my second booster. I, no. I, I had too bad a reaction to the initial vaccine. No, but, but I had set, but I had Omicron, I had Delta, Omicron, then was exposed to Omicron because Susan, where I was stuck in a room with her for three days, I got nothing. So my immunity is pretty yeah. good. But um, if you have never had the vaccine and you had to do it just because, say, you wanted to do it, would you have the one for the Delta or the Omicron? Oh, somebody asked me this the other day. So that is a really interesting question that no one is addressing. And then would this guy would have been able to tell us whether or not when the spike protein comes out of your body? 
No, okay. no, he, he, I, I sort of, I sort of walked down towards that a little bit. He didn't seem. Yeah, to, I don't think he um, and, and again, that's another area I want to understand more about: is what was, what is Ryan Cole seeing? How frequent is that? Where is that coming from? Was that a syndrome that nobody has, or it's fr- rarely? I, I don't know. Okay, so tell so, me, what would you so, take? So, uh, you, you are not supposed to take the uh, the bivalent booster as a primary series. You still have to get a primary series. And if I had all options available to me right now, I would take Covaxin. If I if I were virgin, I had no vaccine, I would take Covaxin as my initial affection, and then I would take the bivalent booster as my booster. Okay. But you can't get Covaxin in this in this country because the manufacturing in India apparently is problematic. So what would my next choice be? You know what? I would take. Well, J and J is not available anymore. No. Um, I know it's weird because like you can't, you don't want to take the vaccine for the Delta if it's not the Delta. No, you have to take. But the reason the you Pfizer take it, maybe the, the Pfizer, yeah. yeah. The reason is because of the cellular immunity, and and Dr. Wilson made a pretty good point about that. So I think that's why. I mean, would, I'm not suggesting you have to go and do. I, I'm just curious if you, in if it was like you had to do it. If it was like you, if you had, had to, do to it, go, if you had to have a vaccine in order to, yeah, I would. T- I would if I had to, and I had Covaxin available, I would take whatever. that right away. And if I would then going to get a booster, I would get the bivalent booster. Uh, but it is a booster. The what? Without, Bi- the, the bivalent, the Omicron, which because it's not. It's, but that's like Pfizer too, right? It's both, and it's not a booster. It is a. Um, it's not a primary series. That's a booster. Okay. You got it. You yeah. didn't get me. I did, but I just I don't know. I just. It seems like Omicron is so, so much less, you know, attacking people. It's not killing people like the first one. Yeah. Uh, Chrissy, you can unmute your mic there and have at it. Sorry to keep you waiting. Chrissy. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Drew. You I, bet. I just want to, I just want to ask something, please. Um, I'm in Australia. Mm-hmm. Never would have guessed. Um, yeah. And I just <laughs> want to say that using fear does not work. Mm. You know, where, uh, People have been put in a fear situation and, you know, they were put in fear at the beginning of all these lockdowns and some of them had to get the vets in order to work mm-hmm. and in order to live and sustain a living and pay their rent and everything like that. But yep. what I want to mention is when I go into the office and I'm well, and I am well before I go into the office, Dr. Drew. Mm. But after I've been in the office, what I notice is that night I end up being ill and I end up with a really sore throat. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it subsides and sometimes I'm stuck with it. At the moment, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm stuck with it at the moment, uh, Dr. Drew. But what else I want to say is that I've noticed with the medical profession here in Australia, is that we've had respiratory clinics mm-hmm. being uh, set up in in medical centres. Now, we never had respiratory clinics. All of a sudden, we have respiratory clinics popping up, and I find that a bit unusual. Now, so why... The increase in respiratory problems. Probably, well, two two reasons, or maybe more. Uh, One is, I don't know what sort of environmental, you know, antigens you're being exposed to, but it could be allergic reaction on one level. But the other is, we're seeing a boost up in all kinds of viruses, and I think most people are aware influenza A and respiratory syncytial virus are way up, and those are respiratory to some extent. 
particularly the RSV is. And so because two things, the theory goes, because we've been isolating so much, we've not been exposed to much of these viruses for the last couple of years, and there's a theory about competitive inhibition, I should have asked Dan about that, where the COVID literally outcompeted all the other viruses, and now they're coming back in. And as such, we are sort of, we're not have any immunity. So we're not, we're getting, we're developing infections to all these things that in the past we might have had some immunity to. And the infections are somewhat worse because we have, again, been not challenging our immune system and not exposed to these things. Uh, this is Charles, I believe. But thanks, Chrissy. Uh, let's see what Charles is up to. Charles? Yeah, hello. Um, uh, what, why do you think? The doctors in Thailand did their study. Which, and what were which, the results? Which study? The cardiomyopathy study. Why do I think they, they did gave that? The, yeah, why do you think they did it? Because they were seeing myocarditis in young men. They, they were seeing it. Yes. They, 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 they knew. They, right. There's a question about cardiomyopathy. Correct. Not cardiomyopathy, my, myocarditis. Myocarditis. Charles, you're, Charles, you broke up. Unfortunately, do you think that's me, Caleb, or is that Charles? No, that's that's on his end. All right, Charles, I have to remove you from speaking because we couldn't hear a damn thing you said. So I apologize, but do raise your hand again if you want to come up. It sounded like you had a good question, and I'm uh, ready to take it. Uh, let's see, uh, Toby. Let's see if Toby has a question here. And go ahead and unmute yourself, Toby. Hey, Toby. Am I having? A, am I doing something wrong, Caleb? No, it says it says she's connecting. This seems like it might be an issue over on the Twitter Spaces side. I know they're making a lot of changes, so it okay. seems like it could be that. It okay. says she's connecting right now, though. Okay, Toby, can you hear me? Hmm. Let me look at the restream while we're waiting for Toby. Uh, <laughs> someone said Charles is a malfunctioning robot. Uh, somebody's Nancy's appreciating that uh, Dr. Wilson came on. Let's see what else you guys are saying. Seven friends in bed with influenza A, negative COVID. Very common right now. The influenzas are the ones ending up in the hospital right now, not the COVIDs. Okay. Oh, she's already she already dropped off here. Uh, let's try Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi, doctor. Thanks for taking my call. Um, back to your guest mm. and RFK. I read his book. I thought I learned a lot. Love him or hate him. Um, and one of the things that came out of it is he is a lawyer and he did very... Um, he did tell us why they're trying so hard to get this vaccine on the childhood schedule. Yes, that, now, you're right. That was a, that was another thing. It, it's a theory, but it made sense, and it's another thing I learned from him. Actually, I'd heard it before, but it uh, it sort of crystallized in my head because of him. So the the theory is that the emergency use authorization gives them uh, freedom from liability, and they will sustain that freedom from liability if they can get on the recommended vaccine schedule for childhood. Exactly. So he did sound like he agreed with the great Jay Bhattacharya, who Fauci called a fringe epidemiologist, 
for letting us know, screaming really, that this was age stratified. It was an illness of the elderly. Yes. And now, up until yesterday, we all understood there were childhood diseases and adult illnesses. Yes. I don't recall ever any pediatrician of mine telling me your children need a pneumococcal vaccine. Right, or, a shing- or how about a shingles vaccine? Yes. Yeah. So why are we unlearning this? Because he's in essence agreeing with the age stratification. Yeah. Yes, Catherine, now, you're, people you're die all over the place of yes. all kinds of things. Yes, you're you're getting at you're getting at what I was trying to talk to him about, which which was that because I'm not a pediatrician, I, I don't know what kind of risk tolerance that the, the pediatric community has. The the best data I can find is there are about five hundred COVID deaths in children. And there were about 6,000 measles deaths before the vaccine. Clearly, eliminating those 6,000 deaths was a vaccine that is permanent, a one-time thing I'm fully in favor of. Now, why then wouldn't I be in favor of a vaccine that saves 500 children from dying and some hospitalizations, let's say 5,000 hospitalizations or something, just for the sake of argument, um, because I don't understand what we're doing. I don't understand the... The risk. Because the risk for the children is so much higher, it we really outweighs the benefit. Does I, it I would have said yes to you. Now I'm wondering. I don't know. I I, I, I worry. I, the, the children, you know, the myocarditis and all the, the things we're seeing with the spike protein and whatnot seem to be in the young males almost exclusively, right? You don't, I, don't, I haven't seen any women or females with uh, myocarditis. I haven't seen that. Um, no, but my immediate family, I have three nieces that have had upset menstrual periods for a long time. Uh, we have seen that, that that's another area that needs to be understood. It's not fully understood. And the question is, again, you know, what's the, re- these issues of relative risk, you know, what's the risk of COVID versus the risk of the vaccine? And then that I was trying to push this point with Dr. Dan a little bit, what's the risk of the vaccine plus COVID, which is what everybody's right. going to be because everyone's going to get COVID. What, you know, so I, I, your, your point is well taken. I'm still struggling. I'm not there yet. I, I don't know the answers to all these things. I, I, as I said, I know what I'm doing after the age of 65. I, I understand that. <laughs> after that, I, I'm not sure what I'm doing. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. I, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a fluid, uh, I have, I have a fluid sort of, uh, position on these things. And, and I'm glad I talked to Dan. It, it helped me. It helped me. Uh, Robin, we're going to get her, her in here. Uh, Susan, you're still good? Yeah, I'm fine. All right. Okay, if I take some calls. I blamed you earlier for me not being harder on Robert Kennedy. You should have coached me into doing it as Well, I know you didn't want to do the interview for like six months. It was more than that, I think. And then we somehow slipped him in under the radar. Uh, Robin. But Kelly, I like you, you know, like, I think Kelly wanted to talk to him. Oh no, Kelly really wanted it, and and we like you know I I I like talking to I I don't know where the truth lies yet. I don't. I love know. how people think that our platform is like you know so big. It, it validates people. Like I don't know how that could be, but <laughs> so so if it's just a dumb little streaming show we came up with. <laughs> oh goodness, Robin, you have to unmute yourself. Your hands up. I know, but you got to unmute yourself. Lower left-hand corner. There's a microphone. Just click on that. So there so, you are. Hey, what's going on? Okay. Yeah. So I just like to say, you know, uh, from um, at, being a mom at, in 1986, in not having no family around and being, you know. I was like, you know, I had her in July and I was like, oh, I had her wrapped in blankets. I was like, you know, so scared that she would get sick. Mm. 
then uh, then a whole lady that I knew said to me, why? Why why you got her wrapped up like that? And I said, well, because she's a baby. You know? She said, her body temperature is the same as yours. And, you know, like, take, the, take those blankets off. Like, it's like plus 29 here today. And, you know, I listened to her. And, yeah, and I realized, like, yeah, because that's where natural immunity comes in. And that's how the body adjusts. So, but in the meantime, my sister-in-law and, you know, thousands of miles of what I knew, uh, she was, like, doing that to her son. And, and you know what? He was, like, in and out of the hospital all the time with colds and, yeah. and flu. And, yes. and, it, and she was smothering in his natural immunity. Yeah. Whereas my daughter never, after that, never, ever went to the hospital anywhere. Right. And when it comes to COVID vaccine, uh, my smart choice was, which I don't know, I don't understand it, but I did see a, a, a survey come out of uh, Israel saying that out of the 60,000 people that day went and uh, tested or whatever, uh, that there was a majority of them was women my age that had blood clots. And that was early in the vaccine. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking it. And well, you know what? Mm -hmm. I am not taking it. And they went and because I had to go to the hospital, because, oh, by the way, if you get a cold in or to the doctor and you want to go get some antibiotics because you know, oh, well, they got to stick that up, you know. And, oh, you got COVID. Oh, what? I got COVID? Mm. Oh, so I got the same freaking cold that I normally get a lot of times every winter. And I come home and I, and I uh, drink chicken soup, put facts. Well, that's mostly you know, in your age group that, what, what, you, what, what you will be doing with COVID. Mostly you'll be doing is just uh, taking, you know, TLC. And that's about it. Thank you, Ron, for that call. Yeah. Uh, this is Slay. Slay, give you a chance to come in here. Got lots of hands up here today, Slay. What's up? Hey, Drew. Hey. Uh, you know what? <clears throat> we hear a lot about the myocarditis, right? But mm. I guess what I'm wondering is what, if any, other severe adverse reactions, yeah. side effects could yeah. we, should we be yeah. looking for from right. vaccines? Right. So that's, that's what's lurking in the back of my mind when I worry about these vaccines of the very young. Now, Dr. Wilson said we've seen zero side effects. And so, okay, I'll take his word for that. Um, the, the question, the, the, the lingering question is that there is increased all-cause mortality. It appears, again, that is a statistical sort of an observation. And so it appears that there is a maybe 10% above normal statistical aberration where we should be seeing a drop in all-cause mortality. After a pandemic, there's typically a drop in all-cause mortality because the older people and whatnot are the ones that die that would have died in the subsequent year. That did not happen in this case. So the question is, what is causing that all-cause mortality to go up? Why that isn't a urgent matter is scandalous to me. Uh, if you watch Dr. John Campbell at all, he has raised the same issue and said the same thing, and he does it with his extraordinary, sardonic, British, uh, ironic humor, <laughs> and just sort of shakes his head. Uh, you would think that would be something that we'd worth looking into. Um, but I believe Britain is starting to look into it. You know, I'm going to talk to Dr. Um, Asim Mohatra very shortly. He's very concerned about the cardiac manifestations Overall, not just the uh, immediate uh, post-vaccinated period, he's worried that there's something going on in the endothelium, much like Dr. Ryan Cole is. 
I don't know if that's true or not. I share their I share a concern that I'm concerned. I just don't know if it's true or not. There are also people that are worried that it has it's having some sort of effect on their immune system, such that cancer is maybe more common or more aggressive or something. That, that all doesn't make sense to me, but I'm looking, I'm waiting to see what the literature tells us. Um, I don't know if you noticed with poor Kirstie Alley's death, she apparently presented with a stage four cancer and everyone went, ah, see, she must've been you know, vaccinated. That's why. Well, I don't know that that's true at all. Uh, what have you heard, Slay? Oh, well, <laughs> not much, actually. You know, this kind of thing, it, it all feels like it's suppressed um, to where we're not even allowed to talk about it. So, I mean, that's why I ask you, I, I do look up to you, Drew, and I appreciate uh, everything you do out here for us. Um, any answer you can dig up on that would be really helpful for the public at yes, large. I think. Yes. We, we, we need to know what to look for. Yes. I, I Listen, man, I, I, I hear you. And uh, th that has been our goal since starting was just to make sense of things. I, I, you've heard me say this recently a little more as we've looked back in the last couple of years. When we started, we felt like we were the French underground sort of, you know, <laughs> clandestine pub, you know, uh, uh, broadcast uh, with information about the underground, um, just trying to help people. The, the make rational sense. revolution. The rational revolution, my friend, the rational revolution. There it is. Um, so thank you, Say. I appreciate it very, very much. We'll just continue to, you know, keep an eye on it, try to come to try to figure this out. Uh, let's get, uh, Toby up here. Toby, I tried to get you a minute ago and uh, you have to unmute yourself. Let's see if it works this time. There you are. Is it working? Hi, Drew. Thank you. It's working now. You bet. Um, you know, I haven't heard much. You brought up the J and J shot earlier or the vaccine mm -hmm. vaccine earlier. I haven't heard much. I didn't even know it was off the market as far as an option for, for vaccination. Do we know, was there a major side effect other than those first reported blood clots or do the, we have any further information? There was, there was a, a, a sort of a tendency to develop consumptive coagulopathies that had yeah, some really, I mean, look, uh, it's not clear that the incidence is different than the incidence of myocarditis from the, in the, in the male uh, young age group. However, the conditions that were being triggered by the J&J &J were more, more serious, it appears, than the myocarditis seems to be in, in the, the young males. These consumptive coagulopathies were very dangerous. The one dreaded complication they were causing was a, was a clot in the transverse sinus in the skull that usually triggers a little brainstem stroke in addition. And I thought that's what I was getting when I had my um, reaction. I'm coming in a little bit late, but did you watch the, uh, it was something, I'm trying to think of what the new documentary Died is. Died Suddenly? Kind of, yeah. Mm. I did not watch it. I, I'm actively resisting because I spoke to Dr. Ryan Cole personally. You should, you, if you want to know really what his point of view is, we get into in quite a bit of detail in that interview from last, was it last week or two weeks ago? And um, I'll look for it. Yeah, look for it. He really, he really lays it all out there. And I don't know how what we're looking at there or how often it happens or, you know, we're just trying to make sense of these things we're seeing. Uh, the, I, documentaries I worry about because they always have a real significant point of view and you don't get to hear alternative opinions. Uh, that's, you know, one of the reasons I brought Dr. Dan in today that, you know, to, to try to flush out the alternative point of view. And it was, it was useful. It was very useful. I, I'm not fully in, you know, all the way in, in with clarity yet. I don't have the kind of clarity I think I, because it's not fitting my clinical experience, what, what his sort of reading of the literature was. So we'll see. 
Let's see. I, 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 I guess I'm feeling more comfortable with the vaccine, having brought everyone into the light, heard what everybody has to say. I don't know. That may be just today. We'll see. Susan, you're very, very much affected by some of the stuff we've been hearing about, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we've learned so much over the last three years and I'm just, I don't know. I've seen changes in my body and I, I think, you know, I'm lucky that I have good genes and I've gone through very little, but I don't know. I just think it's a very strange thing to just vaccinate everybody and just continue to do it over and over again before we really have the numbers, you know? Right, before we really understand what we're doing. And like, let your natural immunity come through, like, get the Z stack and, you know, take some vitamins. Remember at the beginning, we we're taking all these vitamins, everybody's kind of healthy and, mm -hmm. you know, we weren't healthy because we were stuck in, in get our Get your houses. immune system going and, you know, be more worried about, you know, your daily life nutrition and, and well, yeah, your point is well taken is that Omicron is quite a bit milder. We, most of us have had a primary series. We have robust cellular, we've cellular had immunity COVID. and we've also had COVID. So the, the, the idea of revaccinating and the, you know, whatever risk that incurs, it's, it's, yeah, before COVID, I don't think I was sick for like five years. I don't think I got sick. Mm. And then, you know, but I have a really good immune system because I raised triplets. I was sick every month when they were kids. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's who's supposed to get sick. Like kids are supposed to go out and get sick. Right. And, that, you know, taking pills and vaccinations to protect yourself is, it kind of goes against my belief. Although I do get a flu shot every year since the kids were getting me sick all the time. But I wish I had better judgment about pediatric uh, syndromes and vaccination because to me, to, to obviate. I, I like holistic stuff. I'm to just, obviate just 500 thing. deaths and a few thousand hospitalizations, I, I'm not sure if that's worth the potential. I think Dr. Kelly the is the one that convinced me, like, um, just her way of looking at it from the beginning just always seemed right. And Dr. Zelenko, I'm a big fan of his. So I don't know. Mm. I just, I like more of the holistic health approach to things. It's just Caleb, me. what about you? Before we wrap this up, I know you have to go. <laughs> keeping you uh, from bedtime. No, I, I honestly, I just... I, I never questioned any of this stuff before, and now I question everything because I feel like I was lied to. And I feel like a lot of people feel like they were lied to. I feel like they we were told, all right, you have to wear these masks, and it's going to keep you safe. That turned out to not be true. They said, mm. well, this is safe and effective. That turned out to not be true. And now what they're doing is they're just saying, everyone who comes forward who says, look, my child is suffering from this. We're pro I got the vaccine. I got the mRNA, and I got a booster. My wife did as well. But they can't sit here and deny that there are people, friends that we know, very pro-vaccine people, who have had significant side effects to it. But everyone wants to act yes. as if that never yes. happens or if they're making it up or these people aren't real. And I, you can't blame the victim yeah. that way. You, you have to listen to them. No, it I doesn't agree. make us anti-vaxxers. Really yeah, I've seen some really nasty reactions. I, I just want to understand what we're doing and that the risk is worth the reward. That's it. That's all I want to know. And and it, and I have question marks over my head for a number of age groups. It's just still well. You didn't want your sons to get it. I didn't want uh, Douglas, Douglas to get specifically. it. Well, Jordan want... just did it. He wanted. He was afraid he wouldn't be able to travel because he wanted right. it. He got it. Fine. That's up to him. But our other son had a terrible reaction to the vaccine, and I it scared me. He had such a bad reaction. They I thought, both had mm, don't worse do more. reactions than I did. I've had three vaccines, mm -hmm. and I haven't had any problems. But I just I 
I do have a weird infection on my tooth, which I think is odd. I've never had anything like that before, but I don't know. I just, I'd, I'd like us to be able to analyze it and make a better tomorrow, you know, and yeah. not just, I keep getting notifications for New York, get out, go out, get your vaccine. Now they say you get out and get your flu shot and your vaccine, your COVID vaccine. Get it's your like, flu shot. Yeah, but they put it together in one text. It's like people are so dumb, they go out and get both at the same time, which you shouldn't do. I no, you can do that. I mean, it, it's not dumb. Uh, I mean, it, I guess if you live in a tight spaces like New York or Shanghai or whatever, yeah, uh, it's it's a little bit scarier. But um, I don't but know. Mandating I just, it I want for my every person to take care. Like it's it's everybody is unique. It's yeah. that that's what gets no, me is yeah. that Caleb, maybe it's like one yeah, out of original, every you know, our, one out of every fifty remember, of our friends our original, had something. If, if you remember my original position, the real pushback was against mandate. Remember? Absolutely. That was what bothered me. It's always me. been like that. Mandate, that was the most, that was my most trouble, that was my starting point. Like, hey, whoa, you're going to mandate, what's going on here? Why are we mandating this for everybody? That doesn't make sense to me. So that's still where my head's at. Well, I think bit. we all need to have better medical professionals in our lives. Like, I, I've been really lucky because I've drew around all the time, but I do have a primary care physician and he was really great during this. So like yep. what my advice would be is get a, get a doctor in your corner, you know, even if you point. have to pay a little bit more money and you have to take care of your health, get a physical every year, go in and ask them all the questions. That's their job yep. and listen to them and let them decide with you, not for you. Um, if you don't want to do it, tell them you don't want to do it, and then let them help you work through that as well. And guys, didn't we have Ron Johnson on this podcast? Is, isn't that not the yet? Minnesota? But possibly we, not yet. Who do we have, Susan? Who was it we interviewed? We had that? a guy on dose of Doctor Drew. Was that was that Ron Johnson? And um, is Ron Johnson a physician? Anybody tell me that? He's no, I can't remember his name, but it was a he was from Wisconsin. Yeah, or or Minnesota or something. Uh, so earthly geo I maybe i am still up. in denial that's certainly a possibility um again i'm trying and to i think a lot of our followers are very pro health you know on their own terms and where's you know not not you know i i mean i see a lot of people saying you shouldn't get the vaccine and then i see people that say i got the vaccine so we're not saying you're wrong either way but i do I do feel like we should all be able to take care of our own bodies, you know, with professional help, go get a doctor. Don't go to the emergency room every time you get a sniffly nose, no. you know, that's, you're just going to catch something else. And, and remember how much, how, uh, how appealing I thought the French youth were for pushing back the way they did. I thought that was totally appropriate. And the history has been good to that. That was definitely the right. Some of them took it, some of them didn't, but they were against the mandate. That was a year and a half ago, Susan, is that right? Yeah. Shush. Like a year and a half. We got to go back. All right, everybody. Uh, I I've taken enough of everyone's time. I think it's been kind of interesting. I, I know. I think Caleb had to leave early. Today I know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm abusing sure him. Left. I'm abusing him. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> no, people want me to do. Tom Cigars wants me to do another hour. Um, I'm, we love I'm, you, Tom Cigars. Yeah, I'm. I'm not catching some of our usuals on the stream today. So let's see if you guys. Everybody showed up, but I don't know. It was nice of you to get that guy on and let him. I thought that was good. Yeah. Well, I think everybody, there is that line of thought that is still out there that we have to, you know, 
respect, I guess. No, he he had some interesting points, and he had his reading of the literature, and I, and I'm glad I, I'm glad this is how it works. We're sharing information. This is how it works. I I, I tr- we're trying to ascend to the truth, and uh, it's an ascension. Right. We all uh, have to come together and figure this out. It's not it's not a declaration. It's not a, a gestalt. It's an ascension. You have to ascend to it in these unclear, very complicated situations. So again, appreciate you being here. We appreciate uh, Dr. Dan for coming in. Susan, thank you for producing this. Caleb, thank you for sticking around in spite of your obligations. And uh, I do as little as possible. Coming up, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long coming in here. That is next Wednesday. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, and on Monday, guys, are we going to do a little something, something? I don't know. Yes. Caleb, can you do That's something? Yes, I'm, I'm here yes. for Monday. I may not we can be do here, a caller so show. you'll have to turn on the... Fine. You're gonna, I'll I'll set everything up in advance, and then you can Fine. just will, turn it on. We will do call-ins on Monday. I got to get my carpet cleaned in Laguna. Uh, on Tuesday, I have to do a oh, and David Weissman coming in on December fourteenth, and, and then, then we have Dr. Rom and Dr. Scott uh, Bruce on Thursday. Thursday of next week. Yeah. And who do we have on Wednesday? Covidlonghaulers.com. Weissman next week, and I'm going to be doing a press day regarding these. Um, the uh, special forces thing we did out in the Jordanian desert. We uh, can't play the clip though because we're worried the music will ding us on YouTube and I Facebook. Know. So we could play it on Rumble though. Oh, Megan Kelly coming up too on January third. Yeah, that should be fun. That's a great post. We got to put that on Instagram. All right, everybody, thank you much for being <laughs> here, and we will see you on Monday at three o'clock Pacific time. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.